0: And we are back. Welcome for another edition. Welcome for, welcome to another edition. I remember how to talk, I promise. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Daily Dots. And um, it's not getting less interesting. Um, I am joined, well, not as always, but I keep saying as always. Yesterday he was out. But I am back with my uh, my wingman, the brain trust of the operation, Mr. Chase Taylor, and uh, just documenting another day in this market, another day in this economy. Um, quick review here. Little bit of bloodshed here. Um, NASDAQ finished down sharply, down 2.43%, um, sitting right on – I technically, it closed below that level. I was explaining to them how we've been really tracking the NASDAQ specifically uh yesterday it closed right below that level but not to a point where you sit there and go okay this thing's this thing's about ready to drop like a rock
1: yeah we're under a big horizontal level now but there's also kind of like an uptrend line that we're about to hit so it's kind of an awkward spot i uh, will say though on, on the nasdaq on the la- you do a three-month look back we're now down 9.36 percent on a three-month look back so some pretty decent gift back there and that's that's about eight percent on the s&p over the last three months and almost 16 percent on small caps
0: yeah I You hear a lot less – now, as soon as it goes away, that probably means it's going to go right back up. But sure. you hear a lot less people calling for new all-time highs before the end of the year. Oh, I've
1: got, got another nugget for you speaking of. Uh, four small caps for IWM. We're about to put in the third red candle in a row, third month in a row of negative prices. The last time that happened was 08. So that's that's pretty wild to me.
0: Yeah. Economically, I, I it makes sense. I, it all makes sense economically. So,
1: so speaking of economically, I got, I got some more. Nuggets. Okay, hold
0: on, hold on. We got to finish the index really quick. Uh, S and P down one point four three percent. Once again, closing right below forty one eighty six. That forty two hundred level has been very big. Yeah, we close below it, but I wouldn't say that that's a convincing. Whenever you're talking about big support levels, I personally like to see it do it for two or three days, uh, just to make sure you're going to close at a sti- you know because if we sit there and look at it on a statistical basis. You know, if the s and is 0.5% higher, right, it's right back over that line. So we, we got to give it some give it some wiggle room. Dow down 105 points or 0.32%. It held in the best, probably a byproduct partially of oil being up 2% on the day. I'm sure that probably helped out the Dow a little bit. Uh, Apple, pro- I didn't see the way Apple performed today. I got to believe it held up better than most of the NASDAQ. Uh, what was propping up? Was banks, were banks good today? What, what was propping up the Dow?
1: Huh, who, who knows with the Dow? Like, as we as we established last week, I don't really watch it, but yeah, I don't think the Dow matters. But it, was, it could have been like staples, utilities type things because yeah. the the only two sectors that were green were utilities and consumer staples. Um, and speaking of, like, kind of that kids is what you typically see at the beginning of a recession. Okay, <laughs> staples were up point three three on that tape, and discretionary was down two point four. Wow! So to see staples just dominate discretionary. Granted, again, one day caveat, but to see, you know, utilities and staples, the only thing's green and then having tech and discretionary and real estate and industrials, like all getting whacked is definitely, you know, if that, if that keeps up, that, that really says a lot about market internals and what the market has to say about the cycle.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not good. Uh, other one, big pop in the 10 year bond yield on the 10 year up not 4.95, uh so Treasury's getting hit again today.
1: Yeah, Twelve basis points on the ten and fourteen on the thirty.
0: Where's the thirty at right now?
1: Five point oh eight.
0: Wow. Hmm. The other thing that you've been talking about, which I would be surprised if it's not happening. Um, but I don't know that. Maybe you can give us some insight. At some point, big pension funds have got to start dumping stocks and loading up into treasuries. They have to.
1: Yeah, the, the, especially that latter part. I I do think that's why we've seen five struggle to hold on on tens and thirties. Um, I because I I think they're in there they're in there buying that and they are behemoths and they're slow moving and so I I it's I'm not surprising they haven't done it yet. They'll you know they'll probably have some regularly scheduled quarter meeting to talk about it and then the next quarter they'll do it or something like that. But um, because a lot I do of expect is- that in size because they can they could do everything they need to do with just with buying, buying long bonds, especially of tips at this point.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, what are the, those guys need to crank out somewhere typically between five to
1: 6% a year to meet their, now you can do it gains. without risk. So why, why give your money to, to venture capitalists?
0: I think you can do it without risk and considerably more upside than you're going to currently get in the stock market. I mean, right. Cause you're going to get your yield right out of the gate, no matter what. Chances are a year to 16 months in the future, you're going to be sitting on some capital gains on the underlying as well. I mean, if you were going to ask me over the next 16 months to 24 months, what would I rather own, the S&P 500 or a 10-year treasury, I'd take the 10-year, straight up. I, I think it'll make more money. Now, I could be wrong, but the fact that it's going to throw you 5% a year, regardless of what happens on a capital gain basis, I just think it's going to be tough for equity markets to beat that. Yeah. I, I think they can beat it if rates go substantively lower, but if rates go substantively lower, the five, ten 10 year is going to go up in value a lot. Yeah. So I, I mean, it, God dang it. I, you know, me though, I'm having to smack my hand every single day and not load up on duration here just cause you know, there's no sure thing. And I never want to make it sound like that, but I, it looks really good.
1: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, me, I'm I'm torn on it because I, the supply and demand aspect of it, as we project forward on the deficit, like, and who's going to buy that, that part does definitely freaks me out. Um, but at this and you know, just secular inflation being higher in the next 10, 15 years than it was in the last same, same thing. I just suggest we need more, more yield in there than we're, we're accustomed to. So all that makes me
0: you oh, know, I agree, but so, if,
1: somewhat concerned, but then at the same time, like but if you, if risk-free 5% is still risk-free 5%.
0: Let me push back a little bit on that whole supply issue. And I know everybody's talking about it and I get the numbers and I get all that kind of stuff. If the Fed faces economic wins that require them to cut and the long end ignores it because of the supply issue, they're going to buy it.
1: They will. But in that scenario, you can easily argue that, you know, the NASDAQ can going to go up more than, than they are because they will buy, they'll, they'll cut rates before they get around to QE. Cause at the moment they're talking about, Hey, what is it? We'll, we're going to cut rates and keep doing QT for a while. So, I would just say that it's going to take longer for them to turn around on the QTQE story than it will be the rate story. And the rate story will be enough to to juice stocks, I think.
0: What will be interesting to me is I think that we're going to get a very good bookend scenario here either way in the next 12 to 16 months, meaning I have a feeling we're going to be able to see firsthand what moves the needle more, quantitative measures or interest rate policy. Yeah, I have a feeling that when we look at it, and I think that there is a lot of data to back this up. I think that buying, uh, you, you know, increasing the size of the Fed's balance sheet and decreasing the size size of the Fed Fed's balance sheet, I think on margin, it's going to have a bigger impact on asset prices.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree.
0: And But this is one of the reasons we're doing the Daily Dots because above all else, I don't really care which way. I just think it's going to be fascinating to figure that out. Right, Just my whole feeling watching this roll out and watching the whole saga of the last 15 years is I've always thought that monetary policy was a very blunt instrument. Um, I am more convinced of that today than I am ever. And I think that what we have seen in asset markets has far to do with – I mean, because if you think about this, it's a relatively new phenomenon, right? Central bankers believing that a healthy market should always have loads of liquidity. That's not, that's not the case, right? Liquidity should wax and wane just like everything else in an economy. And if you have this constant supply of liquidity, I, I just – I think that that over the long run is going to have a bigger difference on asset prices than even interest rates.
1: Yeah, I mean – no, no argument here. That's for sure.
0: Well, fantastic. Then we've got that figured out. <laughs> Join us next week for uh,
1: more solving more life's problems, especially in the world of finance. So, speaking of this, though, something I find interesting is I've noticed. So, there's like a, a like a four pronged debate on why yields are moving higher. Because a lot of people are like, "Look, just supply." But if you really deconstruct what's happened with with supplies so far, it doesn't explain it. It just doesn't. Nope. You can say moving forward it might, but. To this point, they just haven't sold that much long-end paper for you to say the supply is a big problem. But also, I see some people saying like, well, we're going to have 5% growth in the third quarter. Like long-end rates have to juice to like, you know, account for that. But like, why why does a 30-year care about one quarter? And my, my thought on that is like, okay, if we go from 5% growth in third quarter to, to 1% growth in the fourth quarter, does that mean like the long bond like rallies like crazy? Like that doesn't make sense to me that that one quarter is going to do that. And I don't think... I mean yeah like if the first reading on fourth quarter gdp comes out and like ooh it looks like it's going to go down to 1 would they would 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 bond yields come down some sure but would they like retrace this whole court, third quarter like rip higher no okay now
0: <clears throat> here's where one of those few times where i think that spending your entire career managing retail money actually helps i i and look i, I can't prove this but the minute you say that to me it actually makes good sense to me You have the largest, wealthiest generation in the history of this country, the richest country on the face of the earth, right, in retirement, and all of them in one way or another are in a 60-40 stock bond portfolio, okay? They just got their heads handed to them, right? Investment advisors, mutual fund advisors, all the – when you understand that, those guys quit telling – When you call them, the static answer from those guys constantly is do nothing, touch nothing, right? But that attitude exists. They're just like retail investors to a certain degree, meaning that attitude will exist. They can hang in there. They can hang tough, as you put it, until they reach a certain point. When they become worried about clients leaving, right, you will see them capitulate in a second. I I think a lot of this weakness you're seeing in bonds is – I think it's an exodus from sixty forty type portfolios. You go look at every target portfolio out there. You look, at, I mean, just it, there's so much money tied up in this stuff, and people just got shellacked last year, and they continue to take it on the chin this year with rates going up. And I, I look, I don't think it's it, you and I discuss this all the time. It's never one thing. I'm not even saying this makes up half of it, but I'm saying that I do think that this when you understand how loaded up in duration, these people are right. Uh, I, I think it explains a chunk of it.
1: Yeah. The interesting thing though, is, on, you know, kind of on the flip side that the, the, the inflows into duration have been really strong. I mean, the amount yeah. of, the amount of share creation for TLT is just through the roof. The whole time it's gone down, people have been buying it. Same thing with, you kind of look at like how much asset managers are holding things like that. Like they've been buying a lot, but that also makes sense. Like it, if you're selling a bunch, obviously somebody's buying a bunch. Like it, it kind of just the other side of the coin.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah, I just I it'll be interesting to it'll be. I mean, the the other part of it though is I just think losses beget selling. I mean, we know that, right? Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, especially in the especially at the tail end of the longest bull market in in, in history. Um, and the only reason I say that that sell button has been pushed in a long time.
1: And you can t- you can feel right now, like just from a sentiment standpoint. I, to me the best time to buy stuff is when people are scared to even even go there like to even almost say they're they like something or they're they're buying it i remember in oil like you you in 2020 you were like instantly just the giant idiot if you said you were buying energy or oil i feel like that's the way duration is right now where i i can't really count too many people that are like hey i'm really bullish on on the long bond like no one's saying that right now that's to me, that's in some ways all you need to know from a sentiment standpoint. That I,
0: I've literally been saying that like every day.
1: It, it's kind of like the thing—the thing you buy like in your closet when no one's looking because you, and you don't talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, i i you know me, like yeah. you've been holding me. I—I I just I'm licking my chops. Um, and but I will also say this too. I honestly thought four and a quarter, four and a half would be the ceiling on the tenure. I, I oh yeah, I mean, I didn't
1: think we'd get here either. So
0: I didn't think we'd get this high. So. Um, now granted, I will but say, I that thought
1: the cycle was going to like, you know, end faster than it has. So yeah, that that's it, why I thought we wouldn't get up here.
0: And I think that that's, and that again, I'll go back to how fascinating markets are. Of course, the cycle didn't end when we thought it would, because it needed to suck in more people. Yeah, for sure. Like, it just amazes me how markets work like that. Right. We want to, we want to extend this just long enough for everybody to believe, oh, maybe it is a new bull market. Ah, Right, we're closing the door on your face.
1: Yeah, if everyone agrees with you, your position size should be small. That's, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, and I, I just, and that's one of the things when I'm looking at everybody not even talking about an S and P 500 trading at 24 times earnings, and they're all terrified <laughs> of duration. I'm just kind of looking around, going, hmm, it sure feels like a good time to go. Well, and then Ackman did close his bond short.
1: He did, and that seemed to be supportive for two days, but now. I, I mean, today probably but she still had it on.
0: I'm, I mean, you, I'm obviously joking. He, I just it, think it's amazing how much Ackman moves the market. I was about to say
1: that it's, it, the funny thing is, I mean, it really did move the market. I know, especially I, when Bill Gross piled on.
0: I just don't. I, I don't get the whole Ackman thing. I mean, he's a good investor. He's got good returns, but I just think he's kind of a toolbox.
1: I would, I would agree. I mean, he totally freaked out about how we were in a giant wage price spiral and went all like Weimar on us, whatever it was, like two years ago now. And that was, I remember reading the thread in real time and just being like this. This is just silly. Yeah. And I I had literally just written a monthly piece about how we're not in a wage price spiral. And then, you know, the here comes this luminary to say we are. And I was just like, wow, okay. Yeah,
0: a wage
1: price. A
0: wage price spiral because inflation went up after the government helicopter dropped two and a half trillion dollars into the economy. Yeah. I like that, that ain't a wage price spiral, man.
1: Yeah. Like I always I like the uh the Barry Knapp view of like instead of people were talking about it, calling it the great resignation and, and just about from the start, he was saying, no, it's a great reallocation. Like people, people now, cause I work from home can move. They can change jobs. Like the, the, the labor market's super tight at the moment. So they're going to change jobs, but then like, it'll all settle out. And sure enough. I mean, it has.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else do we get? Uh, we had, I thought we had pretty important earnings yesterday get announced Google and Microsoft. We talked about that a little bit yesterday cause I recorded late. um, I don't really have much to say there except both those companies are still doing well. Uh, If you want to know why Google got smacked today and Microsoft didn't and Microsoft went up. um, One word, cloud. Cloud. Apparently, the only revenue that matters (laughs) to these companies is clouds. It's more equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All revenues are equal, but some are more equal than others. Uh, Google had a great quarter. Their cloud revenue disappointed, but year over year, revenues were up 11%. at their valuation, looking at their balance sheet, I still think that's one you can definitely own, um, especially when you start factoring what they're earning on their cash. Uh, I it's, it, Google has been one of the most unloved big dogs of this entire run, and it really doesn't make sense. Um, I will still sit there and laugh at Netflix trading at what it is and then comparing it to Google. I just think that's a, a f- hilarious comp. Um, what else do we have today?
1: Uh, there's a little bit of housing data. Um Still, no one wants a mortgage, which is not shocking. But uh, new home sales were, were decent. They beat estimates. I mean, they're still bad, you know, historically. But for what was expected this month, they were, they were a little higher. Um, that was really from the data standpoint. Tomorrow, there's a, a ton of data. We'll get GDP, which I'm worried about because, you know, we, we like the short end. I, I think it I think it could come out at like 5% where 45 is expected and kind of juice the front end a little bit temporarily. Um, but there's tons of like, Uh, Capital goods, durable goods, uh, data tomorrow. So just a big day today. When did Meta announce earnings? Meta was yesterday. I can't remember now. I thought it was yesterday, but I'm looking at
0: the stock. It's up 4.5% in the after hours.
1: So it had to be today then, yeah. It was today. It was today. Sorry.
0: Oh, yeah. Beats on revenue jumps 23%. Uh, That doesn't surprise me. That's what we were looking for. Well, the revenue jump is surprising. I was expecting a big earnings jump. You know,
1: yeah, it had a rough day today, uh before the close, before earnings too. So that was a it was welcome news for them. Chart was starting to look a little weird.
0: That made our day better. But that's
1: yeah, and that's more. You know, it, we were talking about this right before we started recording, but like earnings have been pretty good this week. You you look at like the aggregate numbers. We we actually popped to positive this morning on on earnings for the quarter. We expected to be down about one percent on the quarter. They they actually went positive as of this morning. So. So it's interesting to see, like, hey, earnings are doing pretty decent this week for big tech, and then you know, which is the whole market at this point. Um, and then to see, like, well, the Nasdaq's down two and a half percent despite good earnings, like that. There's definitely some signal in that.
0: Yeah, there's some signal in it, which is, in my opinion, this is why I'll always say that eventually valuation matters, right? You bid something up, like everybody. What do you mean it's still cranking out good earnings? Well, yeah, but how much are you going to pay for the earnings, right? And and I think when you're looking at, um you're looking at these big tech companies and in this environment, when you look at the risk-free rate being what it is and you look at their growth rates, I I think it's just, I I think it's kind of hard to justify paying above a 25 or 30 multiple for those earnings.
1: It just, yeah. The numbers don't work. It's ludicrous considering where the discount rate is, but.
0: Yeah. No, and I'm with you. I'm with you. It is ludicrous. And that's why I'm just like, eventually fundamentals do matter. They cannot matter for much longer than people think but I think you're starting to see people do that math. I, I also get the feeling that this is a little bit of capitulation on the earnings explosion story next year. It feels yeah. to me like wind is we're coming starting. Out of to, yeah, we're
1: starting to see uh, some of those estimates for uh, at least the next like two, three quarters starting to kind of roll back a little bit last week. They, they dialed it back about 1% on those out, out quarters. So yeah. maybe that continues. Yeah. But I want to ask you a question real quick. Uh, something that just popped into my head. We were just talking about how attractive Google kind of seems. uh, obvi- To me, Apple is kind of the opposite. It's It's gone from like attractive to very, very expensive. They have a lot of headwinds all of a sudden staring them in the face. And we have like Buffett owns a bunch. Buffett doesn't own a bunch of Google. Like why wouldn't Buffett, if not switch those investments, why wouldn't he at least buy some Google with where it's at? I would not be shocked if he's, if we had a, um, uh, a quarter where it came out, and it's like, oh, Berkshire bought bought a decent clip of of Google.
0: I I don't know, and and the, and I, it, it, I bet you it probably has something to do. If I was to guess, being a student of Buffett, I would think it probably has something to do with their what do they call their long shot sleeve or their home run sleeve? I, I, I don't think he probably likes management having that kind of freedom to make the acquisitions that they make. I, and I'm just stabbing in yeah. the dark here um, because I will say this. And for some, this may sound like sacrilege to me. It's obvious when I look at Google's business, I think it's a much more attractive business than Apple's. And because it has so many different avenues, right? Google makes Google can make a ton of money whether or not you buy something or not. Apple can't. Yeah. Right. And I I just, there's so many different avenues for Google to pull in revenue. Apple could get into that game too. But I think one thing Apple has proven is it's harder for them to go into an existing industry and take over than than they'd have you believe.
1: It's funny. I think that's the best thing they've ever done is not not probably branch out too much where like, you don't even know who you are anymore.
0: Yeah. You water down your earnings. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that you've seen, I think that you saw Microsoft do that multiple times between 2000, and 2010, yeah. right. The windows, phone, the zoom, right. right. Just getting into things that just ended up being cash burns yeah. at the end of the day. So I, I don't really know. I, I look at Google and listen, I'm not saying I'm supportive of their politics. Sure. I'm not saying I yeah. think that them continuing to grow is good for the American economy. I think they're a monopoly just like Apple. And and just like most of the big tech companies, but when you look at the business, right, and you look at the parts of it, and you look at the growth and the earnings, and you look at the multiple and the cash on hand, I I I honestly don't I don't know how every fundamental investor out there does not have a I you and am I biased? Yeah, I own it, but I'm just saying. Okay, then come at me with your counterpoint because I just don't know of one. I mean, the thing is a behemoth, and cash generation is not. Like we were saying, you know the. Google's probably doing what I, I want to say like 18 to 20 billion a year in, in, in real earnings. You know, their cash pile is going to generate six billion.
1: Yeah.
0: That's obscene. Yeah. You know, I mean, their cash pile is going to generate, you know, uh, over the next year, a substantial size company, right? Like a right. six billion dollar company. It reminds me
1: of, of when Exxon bought Pioneer. Yeah. For 60 billion, what I don't think people realized. Sixty billion was their earnings from the prior twelve months. Yeah, which is just just one year, one year's earnings. Like, boom, buy another giant producer with it.
0: I'm actually that's
1: that's what you do with capital. I mean, I
0: I was actually surprised that Pioneer approved it.
1: Yeah, I I didn't even look into into that. I don't know if it was a. I I was kind of surprised on the on the flip side with Hess. Like, I. But, but at some point when somebody big enough offers enough and what are you going to do?
0: I, I've, I've been saying this for a while and i I'm, I know you don't disagree, but one of the biggest opportunities I think I've ever seen in my life is if you had a, you know, a couple billion floating around two and a half years ago and go in and just buy these energy companies outright, take them private, live, live off yeah. the cash. I mean, they are, you talk about disconnected from fundamentals. I mean, people are like, well, there's risk in, it. oh yeah, there, I'm not saying there's a risk. I'm saying that that if that risk isn't priced in, it's no risk has ever been priced in. Yeah, exactly. Security. I, I mean, you got to be kidding me. Are these things have pristine balance sheets, most of them, and I think that's one of the things that people are going to look back and notice about this. And people are probably like sitting there, go Zach, I've heard you go on and on about energy stocks. I know. But, but I don't, I don't think the thing that people enough people talk about enough people realize is that what has happened to these companies—they haven't had good earnings for the last two years. It's been transformative to the underlying business. You've gone from companies that have been choking on debt for a decade that are now
1: debt-free. Yeah, they literally don't even know what to do with the money anymore.
0: They don't. Yeah. It was like when we got that seventeen percent special dividend from Sandridge Energy this year, and they instituted a, an existing, an ongoing quarterly dividend. So in one quarter, we got a twenty-one percent check off of our shares yeah. in one
1: quarter. Because what else are you going to do? Like, they don't know.
0: No, I know. And that's what I was telling our clients. They're like, "What, Zach? What if nobody buys oil stocks? I'm like, guys, whenever somebody has said, I know that the fundamentals are going to be eye-watering, but the stock isn't going to go up because of X, I have never seen that be right.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that, like, because, you know, when you start learning about investing and how stocks work, say in school or something, they'll tell you like, it's, you're a part owner of the business, but it never really feels that way. (laughs) But. When when you own a a company that is just sending you massive checks and not like just doing something you don't understand with the money, like it makes a little it makes a little more real. Like you actually feel like oh like maybe maybe I do own part of this company if you're going to send me this much of your of your income.
0: I'd have to go back and check it out. But when we load we backed up the truck on Conical Phillips at right around twenty nine bucks. Right at I I I think it was the same week oil went negative. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, I think that original chunk that we bought now, because I think they've had a couple dividend increases since then, I think that original chunk is paying us a 14% return on our on our original investment per year. The dividend flow is 14% a year. Like you said, that makes me feel like an owner. Yeah, that dividend hits and you can see it. You yeah. know. So anyway, anything else that we left out for today?
1: No, that's that's all I got for the day.
0: What else we got coming up on the week for uh, econ data coming
1: out? Yeah, so like I say, the, the, the big one is we have a slew tomorrow. Obviously, on um, Thursday, we'll have um, jobless claims, as as always, which will be big. Today, we, we had the energy stuff, which was honestly not that great, despite the fact that oil um, went up on the day. Um, but we'll have the goods trade balance tomorrow, wholesale inventories, retail inventories, GDP, uh, PCE, so we'll get the personal consumption um, data, along with the PCE prices, durable goods, capital goods. Um, We'll get existing home sales on, on Thursday and Kansas city fed manufacturing index on Thursday. And then Friday we get personal income, personal spending. um, And then the PCE price stuff and, and the university of Michigan um, current conditions and expectations and everything. So,
0: I would expect it's all that big, data big to be data, good. data
1: dump for the next three days.
0: I would expect all that data to look very similar to the last print. I, still pretty good hanging in there. Same. Um, yeah. We'll see if my outlook ends up being correct. I don't think
1: – I think I think. you're going to start seeing job losses by the end of this year. I, I would agree. So initial claims are expected at 207, um, which is very, very low, but higher than last week because we were at 198 last week. But continuing claims – that has actually pricked up a bit late lately. So I'm, that's one of the ones I want to be watching most carefully. Um, initial claims are still shockingly low, but, but with continuing jumping, it kind of shows you like, okay, well, no one's getting fired yet, but some of the people that don't have a job are struggling to get a new one, which is just a little bit of a signal like, Hey, the labor market is turning a little bit here. And of note, the ratio between um, initial and continuing jobless claims, whenever that, whenever that spikes, where all of a sudden way more people have, um, can't get a job then are getting fired that actually is like a recessionary signal so that's barely moved so far but if you start to see continuing claims like really ramp and, and more than initial that, that a, that's like a big timing mechanism for for trying to figure out where you're at in the cycle. This is, that's a very late cycle signal.
0: Yeah. All righty, sir. Well, I know you're going to give us all those data points tomorrow. So Thanks. until then, and I'm, just, and I don't mean to keep plugging it. I'm just really excited about this guys. You're not going to want to miss the interview we've got coming up this week. Uh, I actually watched the big short again last night, just in, in, in sympathy and preparation for this. But we're going to have on Porter Collins and Vinnie Daniels or, or uh, Vinny. I think it's Vinnie. Yeah. Vinnie Daniel um two of the main characters that worked on steve carell's hedge fund um the real character's name is steve eisman um but anyway it should be a fascinating discussion we're going to get the inside scoop on the whole big short deal but also i want to know what they're doing lately because they did not have a shabby year last year
1: no see seawolf's doing doing big things of late i think they're probably like us this year like just been a little bit more of a struggle but man they're they're the year the last couple years they've they've been on fire
0: yeah yeah. so anyway it would be fun to catch up with those guys and figure out what's going on so you guys won't want to miss that again you can get all of that just by subscribing to Know Your Risk Radio podcast no paywall doesn't cost anything uh, our hour long show comes out every single week and then in addition to the hour long show we typically do a long form interview as well I'd say we probably average about three of those a month so um, this one will be one you don't want to miss anyway go to Know Your Risk Radio subscribe for us and uh, you won't miss it Anyway, until tomorrow, we will talk to you then. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.